Well, welcome to season two of Lift, a parenting podcast where we ask the questions about family and faith. Let's be honest, parenting takes a lot of heavy lifting, both physical, emotional, and spiritual ways. Raising a family is hard work. Some of us are doing it as a single parent. Some of us are working with a spouse, but all of us have questions every day. Are we screwing up our kids, our marriage, our relationships? We hope this podcast will ask some questions that can guide each of us to find our rhythm in creating a space for God in our home. Today on Lyft, we are continuing our conversation about technology and our family. Um, We are going to further that conversation today with Dr. Ryan Smith into teenagers and um, how we can best parent them when it comes to technology. I'm going to skip your intro this time. Go back to last week's podcast to hear all the amazing thing that Ryan is doing in his life. (laughs) And let's just jump in. One of the greatest questions I get is when can my kid get a phone and when can my kid get um, social media? Mm -hmm. So tell me all the things. Okay, all the things. Let's do all the things. So my first response to that is, I get that question a lot too. And you know what the second part of that question is usually, uh, uh, it usually comes um, um, right after that comment. The second part I get is, um, because all their friends have one. And my kid's coming home and saying that they're the only one that doesn't have one. And you know what my question for those parents is? That didn't work on your parents. Why is it working on you? That like when I went home and told my parents everybody else, uh, my my parents seemed to revel in that. Like they seemed, oh really? That means we're doing better. Yeah, that means we're doing better than everyone else. Right. So I say that because uh, first of all, they may be telling you the truth that they are the only ones who don't have one. Uh, uh, more than likely, they're not. But the ones who have access to that kind of technology are very public about it, and the ones that don't aren't. And so the numbers may be way more skewed than you think. So like in the average seventh grade classroom, sixth grade classroom, mm-hmm. the numbers of phones, people who have phones that don't have phones may not look the way your kid feels like it looks. Um, but because the ones who have phones always have them out, there's this sense that like, well, everyone, everyone has one. Right. Um, so my answer to that is, is uh, there's not, <laughs> I, I've, I've never had a parent happy with me after I answer this question because I always tell them there's not a magic age because I don't know your kid. Um, let me give you some basic rules. Uh, if your kid um, <laughs> is by and large fairly trustworthy, fairly responsible, uh, seems to seems to follow instructions without having to be asked a million times, seems to keep up with their, their things, then you may be having a conversation about, okay, maybe it's time to start adding this level of responsibility. But if your kid's kind of a train wreck in their responsibility. I don't know that adding a phone is going to help that. Uh, you know, my friend said to me, I don't, a couple weeks ago, my parents never gave me a thousand dollar computer to put in my pocket right? <laughs> and to not drop yeah. and right. And to right. not lose. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of like retainers these days. Yeah. You're not there yet with your parenting, but yeah. they're these clear little bitty things mm-hmm. that come in and out of their mouths. Uh-huh. And I think, Ugh, how in the world are they going to keep We're track in a of that weird place? We're in a weird place socially. We had a Commodore 64. That was our home computer when I was a kid. And no, my dad would not have let me put that in a backpack if I could have done it. Um, but, but no, we feel a sense of obligation. Um, let me encourage parents in this regard. Um, 
I, I have this advice for for kids who are 21, 22, 23 who are looking to get married. My advice to them is you're going to be married the rest of your life. <laughs> that's the that's the hope. And so and so don't be in a hurry. Spend some time getting to know each other. Spend some time going through some ups and downs and some seasons and some seeing them at their worst and seeing them in moments that that really are character revealing moments, which is anything after the first year. Um but you're, but the goal is you're you're going to be married for the rest of your life. So so once you once you cross that line, um, we want it to be in a place where you're sound and and there's no sense in rushing that conversation. Now, by the way, if we were talking marriage, I got a whole bunch of stuff on the tail end of that, but we won't do that today. Um, so with phones, once they have it, they're probably going to have it permanently. So don't be in a hurry. <laughs> when we talk about some of the biology that we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think it will make more sense, but I said this last time on the elementary uh, podcast, but the longer you can wait, the better biologically. It's the, it's better for your kids' neurological and cognitive development. Okay. So, um, I, I have, uh, when I do parent presentations, I have a slide that that says adolescent neurobiology and then has all the reasons why I know they're checking out. Um, I even have a Netflix slide that says, I know you should have been home watching Netflix because this is super boring, right? There's only two things and they're not boring. If you understand what they do, there's two things that I need parents to know about biology and their kids as it relates to technology. One, Every adolescent on the planet is struggling with prefrontal cortex development. The the prefrontal cortex covers higher, upper-level cognitive functioning. So it covers things like their decision-making, their future planning, their ability to inhibit their inappropriate behavior. I'm going to say that again. Their ability to inhibit their inappropriate behavior. Call it mushy brain syndrome. Mushy brain syndrome. That's good because that's what it is. Well, there's more though. Their social understanding, their self-awareness, right? Um, And then the the three things that are most, I think, impacted uh, by their their technology time, uh, their imagination comes from their prefrontal cortex. So their, their creativity comes from their prefrontal cortex, their empathy, and their morality. So their ability to empathize, their ability to, to exercise moral judgment and to make moral decisions, all of that is, is controlled by the prefrontal cortex. Uh, your kid, does, it's not that they don't have those things. Right. It's that because of the nature of the adolescent years, every kid struggles with everything I just rattled off um, on some level or another. And they may... Sh- Can we all just breathe together in a sigh of we're all going through that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I want to talk to one parent for just a second. Uh-huh. I want to talk to the one parent of a high school kid right now whose kid just did something that flies in the face of every moral lesson you have ever taught them. And your first thought was, I'm a terrible parent. They didn't get any of this. This 17, I've been doing this for 17 years, trying to teach this kid morality, trying to teach teach this kid the difference in right and wrong. And that choice that he just made shows that he's not getting any of it. Pump the brakes, parent. Your kid is struggling with definitions of morality, definitions of empathy, um, social understanding, inhibiting their inappropriate behavior. It's not, they're not finished. They're making mistakes. They're hearing you. I promise they're hearing you. So prefrontal cortex development, your kid is struggling with all of those things, inhibiting inappropriate behavior. Uh, the reason that's a big deal, there's a reason, and we're about to talk about what the payoff is, but there's a biological reason that your teenage boy has done things that are inexplicably dangerous, things that make no sense whatsoever. You could have you you're, you could have been decapitated with this thing that you just did, and yet you did it anyway. And so we tend to ask the question, uh, what were you thinking? Why? That's a good one. Or we just accuse them of never 
thinking of the consequences of their actions, and that is biologically not accurate. Uh, so here's so let's talk about why that's biologically not accurate because um, the prefrontal cortex is forming. But it's doing so at a time where there's something else that's affecting their thinking that we don't know about, or at least we don't think about often. Uh, there is a, a neurotransmitter in our brain called dopamine. Uh, dopamine is uh, – there have been books written about it. If you are interested in knowing more about it, um, there's a book called The Molecule of More. It's one of the greatest books I've ever read in helping us understand neurobiology and how it affects our behavior. Um, it, it essentially goes through all these different characteristics of life and talks about how dopamine – affects everything that we do. So here's what dopamine is. Dopamine plays on the reward centers of the brain. So if I, and this is kind of an elementary school definition of this, to explain the difference in like control dopamine and desire dopamine would take way longer than you, your parents want to listen to me and, and would be way more boring. So let's just talk about what it means essentially. It's, it's the thing that makes us want stuff. It's the driving feeling that we get when we get kind of excited and we want something and we want to move towards it. We get kind of excited about, about, about a thing that we're going to get. That's dopamine. That's it's dopamine. why I can play Toy Blast yeah. for an hour. Okay. Yes. So technology for, for just a second, dopamine is the, is the chemical that is induced by freemium gaming. So like Ninja Fruit, whatever that thing is that yeah. my kid tried to play for 30 seconds and I told him absolutely not and deleted it. Um, Farmville, like all those games that got really popular with adults, uh-huh. dopamine. They were hitting your dopamine in a way that nothing has in a long time. And so despite the fact that you would never admit this, you were getting a weird feeling of satisfaction and peace and enjoyment out of that. Um, because it was designed specifically to play on your dopamine. And if you want to understand how dopamine works, think of a slot machine. Dopamine is is yeah. a slot machine is playing on your dopamine. Every pull might be the one. Mm-hmm. And so there's a dopaminergic hit every time you pull that that mm-hmm. that slot. Um, and then you get one. You get like a little one. I I won five bucks. We'll ignore the $80 it took me to get there, but I won five bucks. There's a little more of a dopaminergic hit. And then we'll keep going and keep going and keep, but it's dopamine that does all that. Now, here's why that's important. In adolescence, the pathway for this little neurotransmitter is physically wider. So like for you and I as adults, our pathways for dopamine are like creeks running through the valleys of our brain. Okay. For a teenager, they're like rivers. They're physically wider. So here's what that means. That means, number one, they experience stuff in a way chemically that you and I simply can't. So I'm going to give you an example. If you and I went skydiving with your teenage sons, I'm with you, but let's, but let's hypothetically for this scenario, let's go skydiving with your teenage sons. I'm sure. So if we jumped out of a plane with your teenage boys, when we landed, um, if you put our excitement on a scale of one to 10 to us, it's 10. That was a 10. Comparing our 10 to, our, to your adolescent kids' experience, they experience like a 25 because their their dopamine pathway is wider. They physically got more of a reward for that than we did. So their feeling is more intense. Okay. So right out of the gate, when your teenage daughter tells you, I loved him so much, and it was we've he was going to be the man of my life, and we were going to spend our lifetimes together, and your thought is, you knew him for two weeks. Right. Uh, there's dopamine attached to that experience, and so they're physically feeling something that you haven't felt in a really long time. Uh, now, 
That doesn't mean that like they understand concepts of love. What that means is their feelings were very real. And the worst thing you can do is stigmatize it. The worst thing you can do is to say, you don't know what love is. Okay, academically, no, they don't, but they felt something serious. And if you tell them, if you respond to that by telling them, well, you're, you don't know what love is and that you guys knew each other for three weeks, that's not a big deal. Get over it. The only thing you have ensured is that they're not going to talk to you about it anymore. So when this whole, okay, you just kind of blew my mind a little bit with like, I understood the prefrontal cortex stuff. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how, how does that come into a cord or reference when it's technology? All right. So I'm so glad you asked that question. It means the world. And here's why. Um, There is... life can be explained in adolescent years as essentially a quest for dopamine, right? So, so your boys, uh, I'm, I'm fully right. With that. And that's why teenage boys have done stupid stuff for thousands of years. So my son just had major surgery yeah. and, um, walked into the house yesterday without his brace on or crutches Yeah, because that made total sense. Of course. Of course. Uh, when I was 18, um, I lived in Abilene. I went to, to college at Abilene Christian and um, we got ice and we, there's no drainage system in Abilene. And so there was like two inches of ice on the road. I spent the entire night that ice came in, me and my three roommates. Um, one of them had a truck and the two of us, the other two held on to the tailgate and skied on our tennis shoes down the roads of Abilene going 20 miles. I mean, we were going fast. Uh, that was one of the dumbest things. Well, we were, we managed to get out of it. Okay. But here's the thing. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever done, but the payoff was dopamine and it, and it controlled my behavior in a way that, um, I didn't understand at the time. And I'm just now starting to understand now here's, let's talk about technology. So if adolescence, your teenage years is essentially a quest for this, this, uh, neurotransmitter, it's a quest for this dopaminergic payoff. There is nothing in the real world, there is nothing in the cognitive world that can replicate the frequency or the intensity of a dopaminergic hit that comes from technology. So here's what I mean. I mean that let's let's take a day of a teenager without a cell phone, right? Okay. A teenager without a cell phone goes through a day where their dopamine is organic. It's, it's interactions with human beings. It's interactions with teachers. It's interactions with parents. It's, it's friends. It's social stuff, right? So let's say their resting dopamine rate, and, and that's kind of a weird way to phrase it, but for the purposes of this illustration, it makes, yeah, sense. Yeah, makes sense. A resting dopamine rate is, on a scale of one to 10, it's like a four, right? Okay. That's not bad. That's fine. It's a four. It's, a, it's just a day. Um, my friends show up, and I haven't seen them in a while, and so my dopamine jumps up to like a seven, Um, and then it kind of fades back down to a four and then I go to class and I know an answer to a question. That's a dopamine hit, by the way. I know that that teenagers who hear this are going to think that's a ridiculous example, but it's true. Knowing the answers to questions, uh, completing tasks that we've scheduled ourselves to complete, uh, knocking off check boxes on our to-do list. How great does that feel? Right? Okay. That's a dopamine hit even for teenagers. So all of that stuff is organic. My dopamine resting rate as a teenager is a four. Each one of those jumps me up to a six, jumps me up to a seven, right? Then I get home and my parents uh, ask me how my day was and my dopamine jumps up to a four and a half because that's not nearly as exciting. So, but, but, it, but it still goes up a little. And, and so the course of a day, I've had these moments where um, I'm used to this. I'm used to my dopamine rate being around a four and I'm used to my organic interactions being the things that make me happy throughout the course of a day. And I learned to value relationships. I learned to value personal interaction. I learned to value human beings. Um, now let's take that same kid and let's put a cell phone in his hand where we're not regulating the amount of time they spend on it. 
on a cell phone, the dopamine release is so intense and it's so frequent um, that it, it shoots that dopamine rate up to about an eight. So now it's an eight all the time. So when I see my friends, my dopamine drops to a seven. It doesn't jump to a seven. It drops to a seven. So my friends don't make me as happy. Um, I come home and, and I'm bored. Uh, I don't like the, the organic interactions that I have because I, I'm getting much more of a payoff for my technology. Okay, so, so I'm going to stop you. Yeah. Because my gut response right now as yeah. a parent yeah. is I want to go home and like <laughs> freak out, right? Just unplug everything yeah, and you. take everything away, I got you. which is not reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of my jobs as a parent is to um, prepare my children yes. for reality. Yes. So help me right now okay, in my do dopamine crisis. Oh, let's I don't, do it. Um, I'm going to give you the same advice that I give to married uh, couples when we're talking about technology in a marriage. Okay. I need, I'm more concerned with environmental uh, changes than I am with time changes. Now, here's what I mean. Every parent wants to know how long can they be on a device before it destroys their brain. Right. Um, my response is never to give that number because, it, again, it changes for the kid and it changes based on what they're doing. But there's another factor. I am more concerned that there are environments that are technology-free environments than I am with whether or not there are specific time limits. Um, n- no technology at the dinner table, period. And by the way, there should be a dinner table that we're all meeting at. Which I have to, I have to. Oh, that's parents to. first. Yeah, we're bad about that. Yeah. And and luckily my children um, will call me out. Of course they will. You know, that's as they should. They best, right? But yes, dinner table yeah. technology. The only exit. Exception to that rule is if we're going over a family calendar for the week, mm-hmm. then I, dad or I will get the phone out, yeah. but then they must go back yeah. to their little. Um, we have a big glass bowl that they all go in so that we can see that we all did it and we can, and it's all there. They're visible. They're, they're out of the reach. Now, granted, mine are eight, or eight and four, so it's a little different situation, uh, but we have a big glass bowl that we use. <coughs> um, so first of all, environment. So dinner table is one. Uh, two. Um, I'm cutting off from a teenager. I'm cutting off technology at probably minimum eight or nine o'clock. Um, okay. So, uh, I don't, I know that this is, is going to sound, um, direct, but, uh, your kid cannot resist the call, the siren song of the phone at night. Um, if you have a 16 year old kid, a 17 year old kid, an 18 year old kid, and I've got some parents right now who are really thinking hard about what I'm saying because their kid's 18 and they don't feel like they have the right to do this. If your kid is a teenager, they do not need a device, an internet connected device in their room at night. And here's why. If you've got a girl, she can't resist the dings and the notifications, um, and the, and the texts and the group chats and the, this, and she's going to check it. And every time it makes a noise, she's going to look at it. And if you've got a boy all those same things apply, but the boy now has access to, to pornography. And I have said this in front of parents a lot, and, and it's a harsh way to say it, but I, re- I say it this way because it, they remember it. You'd be better off giving your teenage boy a stack of Playboys than you would giving him a phone at night. And the reason for that is because at least then you know what they're looking at. Um, and they can close it. And they can close it. But with a phone, they, they see things. So so there's probably room for us to have an, a whole separate conversation about this at some point. But the damage that pornography is doing to young men and young women, by the way, it's not this is not exclusively young men anymore. Um, the conversation that, that about what the damage that pornography is doing to teenagers in our culture right now cannot be understated. Um, and so if your kid has a phone pornography is a part of the equation. It's not, you said not a matter if and when it's not a matter of whether they've seen stuff. It's a matter of what they've seen. Um, so I say all that because environment, no phones at the dinner table, no phones, 
um, when we're when we're uh, going to bed. So eight or eight or nine o'clock at night, I'm going to put everything in one place, one centralized location. I'm going to lock it. If you don't lock it, uh, they will two o'clock in the morning. They'll wake up and come get it, um, and then they'll put it back. Uh, like there, you're not having it next to your head at night doesn't do what you think it does. Um, so what do you lock it in? Uh, you know, the best tool I've ever found, yeah. something called the kitchen safe. Uh, so the kitchen safe is, and it's on my website. There's a link to it. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't sell them. There's a link though, to where you can find them. Uh, they're on Amazon too. Uh, the kitchen safe. So it is like, it's like Tupperware. It's like a big old Tupperware thing uh-huh. and it has a time lock on it. Uh, and it vacuum locks and I mean, it's tight and it vacuum seals and it works on a timer. There is no key. There is no override. There's no password. Um, they're literally, you put in eight hours and it, it locks and it's not opening for eight hours. Um, and so if you struggle to stick to your guns or if you struggle with the idea that like, I don't know how to lock it. I don't have a, an iPad safe in my house. Right. Uh, if you struggle with that, the kitchen safe is awesome. Um, by the way, I have used for middle school boys in particular. Um, I have had parents put the, um, the controllers and the, the power cords for Xboxes in the kitchen safe. And we'll, well, the way we'll formulate it is you set the timer for 23 hours, which means it'll open again tomorrow night. But if it's, if it's a minute late getting in there, you only get to set it for whatever, like 23 and a half. So you're going to lose time for every minute late that they are putting it back in, which eliminates the whole, Five more minutes. Can I find? The rule is for you can have as long as you want, but for every minute that it's not back in here, you're losing time tomorrow. Um, so your kids will get really disciplined about getting their stuff back in. Um, but the kitchen safe does a really good job of keep, keeping stuff put away. So, so we're back to environments. One, nothing at the dinner table. Two, nothing at night. Three is a big one. And oh, I'm going to get some pushback. Uh, but you know what? They can't yell at me because it's a podcast yeah. in the car. Okay. No, seriously. <laughs> I'm going to sing your praises. Okay, good. Sing them. There are limited. I'm looking at uh, less than five years with my children under my roof. There, you go. there are mm. limited times where I'm alone with them That's right. in um, a concealed vehicle. Correct. That time precious. is precious yep. and it does not need to be with their head down. They're a captive audience. Yeah. Yep. And I get my, the, it's now known that our, our, our phones, and it started actually too late for me. Mm. It started when we started teaching our son to drive. Oh, okay. And it was. It's never too late, but go ahead. Okay. Hey, thanks. Um, but it was that I needed, <coughs> I needed to be able to um, monitor myself because mm-hmm. I, I would be on the phone too much while I was driving. I'll yeah. admit that. And I needed to put my phone in my yeah. purse when I got in there and, or it goes in our consoles. Right. Um, and even my friend's kids now know that if you're in the car with me, it's a phone free zone. Yeah, that's great. Um, now there's times when we're on trips when or I'm like on a 14 hour drive to Tennessee like, to see my parents. Yes. Yeah, I know they Netflix like there's no tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But like we have land out in Oklahoma mm-hmm. and, um, it's phone free till the Red River. Beautiful. Right. Like look oh, outside the car. I like that you've put a kind of a geographic. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, it's just. It, and it's an expectation that's been set. Yeah. And we started it late. So you people so, who think you can't do it. No, you absolutely you can, can do it totally starting now. You can do and, it. And at the end of this conversation, let's revisit how to do that. This is less of a when, how, why conversation. Mm-hmm. More of a um, environmental yes. conversation. Which makes it easier. I, I know, look, I know, I know that parents want that hard number. What's the hour limit? I don't have a hard number for my own kids. 
And, and now, granted, if you go back and listen to the last episode, if they're doing specifically specific things on an iPad, then yeah, we'll, we'll go back and and we'll put a time limit on it. But by and large, I'm looking for balance. I'm looking for I'm looking for for parents to treat the technology in their home <clears throat> the way they treat most anything else, which is as long as I'm not seeing problems in other areas, as long as this kid's not consumed by this thing, we're probably doing okay. And by the way, you mentioned in the in the car not using uh, uh, technology. We're talking secondary kids today. Um, I want to make sure your parents are aware of a little device called TextBuster, um, which can be installed under the dash. It go it's, so it's not something they can take out. It's called uh, again. It was it was developed by a trucking company. It's called Text. Text Buster. So here's what it does, and here's why I love it. One, it kills all the data in their in their on their phones while they're driving, except navigation and phone calls. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh wait, no, hey, he's better. Uh, it also monitors their speed and where they're going, and you can pull up it. You can pull it up. And, yeah, Life 360 probably. Yeah, yeah, you can do all that. Um, it gives you the ability to do all those things. Um, but the best part of it is, unlike some of the, there's no bypass for it. Okay. You're making me feel a little bit better at the beginning of the podcast. Like I wanted to go home and just like move, no. move to a mountain. No, no, no. And but so, but this is something I see in my ministry setting now okay. is I have parents on both sides of the extreme. Mm-hmm. I have parents who technology is their quote unquote babysitter yeah. and they're, you know, yeah. and they've let it go to a point. Now they're teenagers and they're, they're like, ah, I need to deal with this. I have parents on the other side of the extreme that have zero technology in their house. And either everybody, let me hear this. You do you. That's right. Whatever works and for you your And you do your family. Yeah. How do we communicate to each other that it's more environmental? So, um, first of all, I'm very excited that you, and we didn't plan this, that you yeah. just happened to ask two questions that allow me to recall the only two smart people quotes that I know. The first one was in episode one, and now we're in the second one. My second smart person quote is Socrates, which is virtue is the equal distance between two extremes. Um, I think that philosophy applies in so many areas. of We are in a, in a politically charged, hate-filled culture, digital uh, media-wise. Um, uh, extreme thinking, extreme ideology, extreme approaches always concern me. I'm a therapist. To me... The extreme versions of just about anything are unhealthy. Um, and, and look, I know that's not an exclusive statement to everything. Right. But with the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, extreme behavior concerns me. And, and here's so let's talk about – this is a technology-focused conversation. So here's why the extremes bother me. Let's start with the one that, that, I, that I think is easiest to address, the, the, the family that is kind of overloaded with technology and it's just tech everywhere. Right. Uh, you could potentially be creating one, a situation where your kids, because of the, the, and it's called an, an intermittent uh, or an interval reward system. Um, their phone is an interval reward system. Um, you could be creating a situation where number one, you're, you're creating a, an addictive behavior <clears throat> Two, they're less happy, which we talked about with the, with the real world because they're happier with their phone. So I don't like that. Um, and that creates all kinds of problems in the real world. But on the, on the flip side of that, so let's go to the other extreme, the family that is, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know even how to define. Yeah, I don't know how to define that. But like the digital desert at their house, um, you may be getting a lot of those those conversations and stuff that you may not be getting otherwise. But kids are growing up in a tech rich world, and so they do need to know how to manage healthily manage 
uh, input and how to how to communicate digitally. And, and it's more and more likely with each passing year that they're going to be in a field that requires um, some working level of technology, um, of knowledge in technology. So, so we don't want to, to me, I don't want to deprive them of all of that. Mm-hmm. I want I want them to know how to do it safely and how to engage in this in a healthy way. And so to me, how do we, how do we, we get to the middle? We remember, first of all, we remember the word balance. I have now, this is now that I believe the fourth time in this two, in these two conversations that I've made this reference, but if your kid struggles to do anything else, you are too far into the technology world. Um, and, and there might need to be an extinction period, which means they don't have any access to technology for a while while we reset some of those dopaminergic reactions. And then we can, can absolutely, absolutely. This is like anything else. Our, we're amazingly resilient and we're amazingly habit forming. Um, our brains want routine. They want regimen. And so they'll adopt whatever it's, it's the same thing that I I try to encourage people when it comes to like jogging and exercise. It, it's hard when it starts because you're not used to doing it and your body keeps telling you, nope, 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 don't want to do it. But for everybody I know who who has this kind of healthy routine, eventually they get to a point where they describe it as being a necessary part of the routine because they really like it. Absolutely. Because we're, <laughs> that's where our bodies work. That's where our brains were designed. Uh, we are ritualistic. We are habit forming. And if we've developed bad habits, we absolutely can reset the chemistry that created those bad habits. Um, I want to, I want to, give a secret away of some of the middle school and high school kids that I work with clinically that they don't want their parents to know. Um, when we go in, when they're in my office and the door shut and there's no, and the stakes are pretty low in terms of like what happens after they leave my office, because we have a commitment. I'm not sharing stuff with their parents unless I have to. And in other words, unless they're in danger or unless now granted legally, there's some stuff we have to talk about, but, um, <clears throat> but they know that they can tell me anything. They know that it's a conversation that we're just going to explore those feelings. When parents take phones away and when parents cut off technology and force the kids into a situation where they have to do more organic conversation, the kids like it. And they don't tell the parents that because they don't want it to be permanent and they don't want it to be a a part of their regular scheduled programming. But and I'm not saying they like like they're excited to have this punishment placed upon them. But when they get into conversations where they're actually interacting with human beings, once they get over the initial awkwardness, um, they, they prefer that kind of interaction. They enjoy that kind of interaction. And most of them, ask a kid, because I have, and I do this all the time, ask high school kids how they feel about their social media accounts. You know what the answers you're going to hear are? You know what words? Stressed, anxious. I got to manage it all the time. I have had sessions with kids who had to turn off their phone because they couldn't have a conversation with me. And at the end of it, when they turn back on their phone, watch the look on their face. It's like it's like they drop because they now have to. Re- I've, I feel like I have to respond to this, or it's going to yeah, be a thing. The streaks on um, Snapchat <clears throat> are things that just blow my mind yeah. as a parent. But it's also, you know, when I, I so I taught first grade and other things. But mm-hmm. at one point, I was teaching first grade, and when a kid would be sad about their pencil breaking, mm-hmm. and I'd think, <laughs> I mean, your pencil broke, right? Right, get over it. That's that was their sad. That's the reality. That's man. the reality. That's right. Like these streaks or TikTok videos or whatever, whatever it is at the time, Mm -hmm. that is their social pressure. And so it's the environment. Mm -hmm. If if we see them getting stressed by this device in their hand, how do we back it up? Mm. How do we let them breathe? Okay, first of all, um, 
if, if you're seeing that, like if you're actually seeing physical reasons or symptomology that makes yeah. you think, okay, my kid's really struggling with this. Um, the first thing I would remind you is that, that parenting is hard, um, that none of us signed up for stress-free experience. Um, none of us signed up for easy kids because I don't know that that's a thing. E- easy in relation and at times, look, they're not, it's not that this is an, an awful, you know, um, thankless task, but uh, we as adults have to know that there are moments where um, we need to take on some hurt and we need to take on some stress and we need to take on some responsibility because it's what's best for our kids. Um, <clears throat> so if we see, if I notice that, that a 16-year-old kid is overwhelmed by this, that they're, they're going to it all the time. They can't seem to put it down. Um, it seems to be having a negative impact on them. Um, and then, and then when they don't have it, and this is the big cue for me, the big thing to be looking for, if they don't have access to it, or if you've put the phone away, or if you've asked them to put the phone away and you can tell they're not with you, they're not connecting with you. They're not, their, their mind is still on their phone, even if their phone is in their pocket or on the shelf. Um, if you see that, um, I'm going to walk you through the conversation that we talked about a little in the first episode. I want to sit my kids down and I want to confess that I have let this get out of control. If you sit the the kid down and tell them all the reasons that they are a problem, you're going to get defensiveness. You're going to get anger. You're going to get hostility. And you're probably going to get some accusations about who you don't have your stuff under control either, um, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, But I'm going to sit down with a kid and I'm going to explain to my 16-year-old kid, I have let technology in our home get out of control. I notice it because I notice that when I want to talk to you, I can't. And when I want moments where our family is connected, they're not, we're not. And I need to be better about that. And, and this is a tough conversation because it's hard to, to keep this stuff from infiltrating our family, but I've noticed that it has. And because it has, I want you to know that over the course of the next few days, we're going to be making some changes. Now, here's what you just gave a 16 year old kid, the heads up uh, uh, to do. If I've got something I need to delete off my phone because my parents don't need to see it, I'm going to give my kids the ability to do that. Now, granted, I would prefer it not be there at all. Right. But if you're going to make substantial change to like, okay, I'm going to start going through your stuff. We're going to start using it less often. I want them to know and to prepare that like, okay, things are going to change. It's it's fair to the kids. And it's a way to have this conversation in a way that um, – they don't feel like the whole thing is you're, you're, you're telling them they're bad kids and you don't trust them. Uh, because when you do that, it, now you end up having a debate about whether they're trustworthy, right. which for the record, the answer is always going to be not really. I mean, yeah, they are. If you got a good kid, that's great. But they're teenagers. Remember that prefrontal cortex stuff we talked about? Right. <clears throat> so, so having a conversation about number one, it's on me as a parent. I let this get out of control. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm going to make some changes over the course of the next few days. Uh, and then and then number three, and this is the one that, that we haven't talked touched on yet, the first change that has to take place in the house has to be yours. Um, the number one complaint, the single most frequent complaint I get from 16 and 17-year-old kids is my parents are on their phones all the time. Um, the only difference is nobody's yelling at them. Nobody's taking their phone away. And so if you as a parent – are on your phone when your kid's in the room, do not expect your kid to be able to exercise the type of discipline that you are unwilling to engage in yourself. I do this for a living. I had a book sitting on my couch like two weeks ago, and it said ways, it it was a book called uh, The Ways in Which Your Phone is Changing You. I read this stuff constantly. And I had it sitting on my couch, and my son walked in, my oldest son walked in, and he picked it up, and he looked at it, and he goes, Daddy, you need to read this. I said, what are you talking about? Now, he doesn't, he doesn't have a context for like how much I'm on my phone. 
And I, I'm really aware that I'm not on my phone with my kids in the room. Yeah. But it was amazing to me that he picked it up. He said, you need to read this. I said, why do I need to read that? And he said, because you're on your phone a lot. And I realized in that moment, his perspective, like any amount of time where he wants to talk to me, my phone's in the way, he now sees it as my phone is a problem and I'm on it too much. Right. Doesn't happen often. And if I could tell him like, dude, you have no idea what I see in my office. Like right. you got it good, man. But, but that doesn't matter. His, his experience doesn't exist in relation to everybody else's. It, it exists in the controlled environment in which it exists. So we could talk about this for days. <laughs> um, and I love, I, I think we've given parents some practical things yeah. of how to notice it, how to reel it in, um, and what's really important. And that's the balance. That's right. So we end every podcast with this. If you could pick parent, teen, child, you have to pick an age group. What's one thing that you would like them to know about this? Um, my my gut answer is the same answer I gave you last time, which is it's. I would want to talk to parents, but I'm not going to do that because I want to try to spread things out a little bit. There you go. Teenagers. <clears throat> my advice would be to teenagers. I know it's. I know you take it personally. I know that you are tired of adults judging your technology usage. And I know that you know more about the tech, but the adults in your life know how valuable relationships are and they know how complicated relationships are and they know how damaging an endless stream of unfiltered voices can be on an adolescent brain. So you are, I, I grant you, you are the experts with the technology. But when it comes to the relationships, please trust that there are adults who see things that have value. And if you struggle because we don't understand, you're right. We do. I don't, I'm not, you notice, well, I didn't spend any time today talking about here's the apps they're using. Because every time I've done that, two weeks later, it's something different. Absolutely. So I, yes, you are the experts. Teenagers, you are the experts. You understand the technology more than anyone else. You can navigate it more than anyone else. You can text from inside a hoodie, which I don't understand, but I've seen them do a bunch of times. Like you can do stuff with this technology that your parents don't get. It doesn't mean they don't understand what they're talking about. Because when they talk to you about technology, they're not talking to you about the tech. They're talking to you about personal relationships. They're talking to you about real meaning in life and real value in life. They do know what they're talking about when it comes to that. They've lived a lot of years. They've had relationships that went up and down. They know what it takes to make it through difficult moments in life. They're not talking to you about technology. So dismissing them because they, quote, don't know what they're talking about or that they don't get it is a complete misunderstanding of what they're even talking to you about. Well, and I think since teenagers most likely aren't going to be listening to this podcast, um, that's a good word for parents <clears throat> of understanding their perspective yep. when we do begin these conversations. Yes. So as we conclude, I just want to give parents hope that if you've gone to one extreme, notice it and there's hope in coming back. Mm -hmm. If you've gone to, a, if you now want to move to Antarctica where there may not be any <laughs> cell phone coverage, I yeah, I believe yeah. there's hope in where we are today in society. And, well, and I want to give, I want to give, because uh, you're right. I don't. I don't ever want to be the guy that does a doomsday uh, report about technology. So I want to. I want to leave parents with this. Um, if you're inclined to feel that way, if you're inclined to feel like this is an insurmountable obstacle, um, it's not. 
Uh, we've, we've had problems that we've had to manage at every generation, um, and we've done it. And, and if you have gotten to a place that's unhealthy, that's fine. We can fix that and we can adjust now. And in fact, in a lot of ways, that might even be uh, a more valuable lesson for your kids. Yes. So don't be afraid. And, and don't be afraid that because you don't understand their culture and their technology that you somehow don't understand what you're talking about because you believe what they've told you, that you don't understand what you're talking about. You do understand what you're talking about. This is your family. You have one shot to raise your family. And I would encourage you to do it with the most intentional effort you can. If you feel like technology has taken your kids away from you, take it back. You don't have to be a victim of that, that we live in a, in a world that tells us that we just kind of have to accept the things that are presented to us as, as though they're, they're unchangeable. This is my family. You don't get to touch my family. This is my family. And so if I want to make change, I'm going to do it. And I encourage every parent who's hearing this podcast, if you want to make change, you can. You absolutely have what it takes to do that. You just have to go in knowing that you do have what it takes. You might need professional assistance to do it. Um, don't hesitate to reach out for it if that's what you need. Absolutely. The church is here for everybody. Um, your website, again, is? Yourbestfamily.com. And there's lots of great resources there. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am.